Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Enterprise Linux Security again. We are here with episode number 56, and I tried to tie the title into the X-Files. I just couldn't make it work. I was going to go, the key is out there or something, because we're going to, the FBI is related to what we're going to talk about today. And um, if people like sci-fi, they know um, the characters in X-Files are FBI agents, but that failed. But we have a title, we have a topic. We're going to talk about the... Um, person in the midst of a hacker group that is a little bit out of place or just maybe there's something about that person, right? <laughs> <laughs> the person, the device, the software, there's always something. Um, yeah. Hi, Jay. It's always a pleasure to be here with you. Hi, everybody that's joining in. Um, so yeah, today we're going to be talking about a bit related to something that we mentioned on the, um, the ransomware, how to recover from the ransomware episode. One of the advices that we gave in that episode was that if at all possible, you should keep a copy of the, the encrypted data. You never know when a key is going to be recovered. So if you're not going to pay the ransom, as we advise you not to, um, maybe in the future you can get back to that data. Um, another thing that we're going to try to dispel today is that notion that people have of not reaching out to the authorities because they tend not to be effective or they tend not to produce the results or it leads nowhere. Um, and we're going to try and disprove that with a couple of stories, actually more than a couple, a few stories that um, actually showcase situations where the authorities really stepped up their game and managed to get into the midst of this type of threat groups and actually got back uh, decryption keys and busted some people in, in the act. So yeah, that's going to be our topic today. It's actually kind of fun because it's one of those, exactly what you're saying. I mean, just because law enforcement isn't doing things the way we think or, you know, there's always something going on on the other side. There's two sides to every story. So I think it's going to be a really great topic to go over. Yeah, it, it's often just too easy to assume that, uh, that law enforcement will be either too slow to react or not produce the results, not find anything because it's too hard to track it down or something like that. So we're going to take a look at something that happened, and I don't think I sent you this link before, but um, it's about um, a chat a chat application, a chat software um, called EncroChat. Um, this was in 2020. It was um, a communications network and a device provider. It was basically a company that was providing these types of... Uh, these phones with some weird software in it to criminal gangs and to criminal enterprises. And it allowed them to have end-to-end -end encryption and communications. And the way that they marketed it was that nobody could snoop into the, the communications and nobody would ever get you if you use those phones rather than regular phones. Um, it wasn't the first network of that type to appear. There have been other companies that live just to do that type of service, however legal or illegal that may be. And just as an aside, it's not illegal to have end-to-end -end encryption. That's just end-to-end -end encryption. If you're interested in security, that's something you've done either with PGP or something like that. That's not the point. These are companies that dealt specifically in that and specifically marketed to criminal gangs and to criminal enterprises and basically shady individuals. Um, they managed to get some very interesting numbers. Uh, when they were stopped, they had about 60,000 uh, active subscribers and the subscription was not cheap. 
Um, but the interesting thing here with EncroChat was that it was actually caught in 2020, like I said, and it had been infiltrated by law enforcement, I believe from France. Let me just make sure I'm getting the facts correct. Yeah. So France managed to identify a central server that was used to relay messages. The, the French authorities managed to identify the server and they were basically snooping in to the traffic that was reaching the server and leaving the server. So they managed to track down the devices. This led to a massive number of arrests when they actually went for the bust. And it completely shattered any illusion of security that this type of service offered. This was 2020, and the French police obviously collaborated with lots of law enforcement agencies all over the world. This is not something that's, that's just happening in one country. This is transnational, lots of countries involved in this. Um, but it just goes to, to show the, the scale of this type of endeavors. And what is true of EncroChat and how big it is, is probably a reflection on how big the ransomware gangs and the ransomware market exists and how big it is. Um, so yeah, in 2020, the French law enforcement managed to crack this open. Lots of busts, lots of stuff. And the interesting thing is what I just mentioned. They managed to snoop into the, into the network. It wasn't just something that they caught the server and nobody else was arrested or only the server operator was arrested. No, they managed to get into the servers that were basically supporting their network, their communication network. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's like a movie almost because it's it's like um, I could just picture a story developing and, you know, there's all kinds of things. That, I mean... How long until movies are made about this? Probably not very long. Anyway. <laughs> or probably they already have. Um, but um, but yeah, the, the interesting thing here is how this type of services manages to be infiltrated for so long. The, the French police was in their servers for months before actually going for the bust. Um, and that's a very long time for you to snoop on communications. Even if the communication was encrypted, you could actually see the endpoints and where they were and all of that. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, very, very interesting. Um, another very interesting thing with EncroChat was they provided not only software, not only encryption software, but also devices. And they had these phones that were basically running two versions of Android, a standard one that you would fire up through the regular power button usage and it would just fire up an Android version, regular stock, the normal applications, all of that. But if you held down the, the volume key and power, it would boot into a, an encrypted partition and you would get a second operating system running, not the standard Android. So that's where the fun started. Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, a secret secret OS. That's interesting. Yeah, but it goes to show, even with this level of sophistication, even assuming that you're doing everything right and all that, they still manage to be to be hacked. The police still manage to to find them and track them down. That's the interesting aspect of all of these stories. And yeah, this was 2020. 2021, there is a. Somewhat different story. Um, Revil, our evil, a Russian-based um, malware gang, a, a Russian-based uh, group, was infiltrated by the FBI. They were doing ransomware, and then the FBI managed to spot the, to identify the command and control servers, deliver some payload there, so that they were basically seeing all the communication that was reaching their servers and leaving their servers. So they managed to get keys. They managed to see who was being ransomed. And one of the things 
And this is an interesting aspect there. Everybody always says that you need to go to law enforcement. From the keys that we're getting in, only 20% of the people being uh, subject to ransomware were actually reporting this to the, the authorities. And that's oh, wow. staggering. Wow. So, so what do you think that is? Why do you think that might be? That that seems like the first thing they should do. But <laughs> It seems like it should be the first thing that, it, that they do. But again, maybe a lack of trust. Uh, what we started with, law enforcement takes too long. They never do anything. It would lead to nothing. Let's just solve the problem in-house. All of those are good excuses for something like this. If you had done it in a situation like this, the FBI would have provided you with the keys. Yep. Yeah. That's got so awkward. Oh, there's nothing I can do. Yeah, there was something you could have done all along, actually, if you would have just, you know, mentioned something. But they have the key. They could just give it to you. It's it's it doesn't cost you. On the revel on the refill case, there was actually a, a bit of a nuance here. They identified the group as being Russian-based, and they were trying to set up an operation that would manage to to cut to catch the operators in the act. So they actually withheld the keys to known um, known uh, organizations that were ransomed, and the the FBI actually withheld the keys for a couple of weeks before releasing them. They were preparing their operations, so they didn't want to signal that they had managed to find a way into the the group uh, servers. So they actually withheld that information. In the end, the <laughs> the rival group members managed to escape anyway. So it didn't turn out to to do anything. Darn it. <laughs> Got away again. Maybe next time. In the next yeah. episode, we'll catch him. <laughs> oh, and boy. obviously, there's a next episode, right? <laughs> yeah, there probably always, will be. There's always there's a always... next episode. <laughs> so, yeah. Late January. Late January. This year, like last week, a couple of weeks ago, the, the, the DOJ came out that the FBI had managed to infiltrate yet another ransomware group called Hive this time. So what's interesting about Hive? Hive is um, a ransomware group that actually provides ransomware as a service. So if you have your hacking team that's not up to snuff, that isn't good enough, that you don't have the infrastructure, you would pay Hive, they would provide you with the software, you would customize it, and they would deal with all the rest. Keep in mind that the risky part about ransomware is actually running the server. That's the part that's physical, that's tangible, that can be traced back to you, basically. So that's the part that law enforcement is going to go after. Um, they're going to identify where the server is hosted. They're going to try to find out who hosted it, who rented it, who pays the bills for that server, and that's how they find you. So Hive was actually a pretty interesting operation from an economic standpoint, but rather than just doing the ransoms themselves, they would actually provide that service to other groups. So they would take the risk, they would also take the money from a cut from all the other groups that were using their infrastructure. Um, yeah, that's just crazy to me that it's so easy to, to be a threat actor. Maybe not a good one, but you could check the box that you are one very easily at this point. I'm amazed by, by the- Buying a starter kit, yeah. I'm amazed by the entire um, economic model of these groups. And it simply works, basically. So, yeah. 
I, I wish I could find it, but I remember an article where someone was talking about what it's like on the inside of one of these. And they were saying that they had their own HR department. They had like, you know, a, a lunchroom. They had they a paycheck and benefits and all this other stuff. And it was that it was running run like a company. You know, if you have an issue, talk to your manager, talk to HR. There's just a I'm like, really? And it's. It, you know, you wouldn't think that's how it is on in some of these. Not obviously, not all of them are that way. A lot of them are underground and don't even have a presence. But sometimes it literally goes to that level. There are recruitment ads for these groups. Um, Kaspersky, uh, and I'm quoting from the top of my head, but I believe in the past week, last week as well, uh, Kaspersky came out with a report where they analyzed the, the ads and the offerings and the jobs and all of that. And they reached a medium job pay for for this type of um, of activity between 2000 and 4000 US dollars per month but there were offers reaching 20000 so yeah oh, wow they give you paid holidays <laughs> paid vacation time they give you sick leaves they <laughs> have hr they have career paths which is really impressive <laughs> it would seem that wouldn't be a thing but yeah they offer you career prospects on this <laughs> I mean, <laughs> to, to top it off, some of them are not even remote. You actually have a place where you go, you do your hacking activities, and then at the end of the day, you go back home. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Apparently, there was a boom in the ads uh, during the, the lockdown, when it, the lockdown started. So, yeah, that was boom time for this. Could you imagine going for, you know, submitting your resume to a company you thought was good? I'm mean, obviously you do enough research. There to find are interviews. Not, but then, yeah, you get an interview and, okay, this is an IT services company. That'll be a step up for my current job. And, okay, so tell me more about your company. You do what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, not my gosh. Not only interviews. There are... There are I, rec I don't recall the exact term, but it's trial period that they will actually pay you. So you come out, you, we try you out for a couple of weeks. If it doesn't work out, we'll pay you for those two weeks and you go out to your life. If it works out, you stay with the company. Again, mind-blowing. Yep. Going back to Hive and how, and how the FBI got into this. So the FBI managed to get access to Hive server in August. I believe it was August of last year. And they stayed quietly in their servers for six, seven months. Again, taking note of the, the encryption keys that were reaching the server, taking note of where the, the attacks were happening. Again, the same 20% were reporting this. I actually expected a difference from the 2021 event and the 2023 one because there's new regulation in place. You actually now have to report this if you if you fall into a certain category. Um, especially in the US, there is regulation for this. It's not worldwide, but I would assume there would be more reporting of ransomware infections than there is. Still, um, the FBI was surprised that it was still 20% and they were quietly passing out the keys now. So on this, this time, when companies approached the FBI that they had been ransomed, if they had been ransomed by Hive or one of the groups that were contracting a service through Hive, the FBI had the keys and they would give them to the company um, secretly, obviously, so that it didn't alert the group. But uh, I assume they went ahead with the sting in, in January because 
they had been found out. The, the group had discovered that there was something fishy going on and that somebody was listening to this. Um, yeah. One of the things that I didn't mention in the 2020, the, the Encroach chat one, was that by observing the communications, the, the police managed to even spot corrupt law enforcement officers that were using the network. Um, and that's massive. Um, so I... I obviously have no indication if that's what happened in the Hive situation or not, but it would be quite the twist for that movie that we that you were talking about if it turns out that Hive had been worn by an FBI officer. Yeah, you know, it's it's so funny in a obviously it's not funny that this stuff happens to people, but um it, sometimes when you see the clever things that other people do, um but, but one thing that I thought was interesting from the article, which will be linked in the show notes, is that, and this part of the article is not fact. This is just the person that wrote it having a theory. So I want to make sure that's known. It's not a fact. But um, apparently, they think that the FBI found out that they might might have been on to them, that they might have been kind of discovered. And then they went in and seized everything because the theory is that they would just keep doing this, just keep grabbing the key, grabbing the key, giving it, giving it to whoever needs it. Um, but then um, allegedly, possibly, when they were thinking they were found out, okay, it's time to, to go in and seize because they could just keep uh, getting the keys forever. And um, I, I would think if they kept going forever, they would just, um, I don't know, maybe tell the companies, don't tell anyone we gave this to you because their cover would be blown because that could blow their cover too. If imagine if somebody tweeted, thanks to the FBI, I got a key for my, um, you know, server here. Imagine how bad that would blow up if, if they were found out that way. Um, and this reminds me of a story and I have to keep the names of the innocent completely off the record here, but I <laughs> remember someone like in the nineties working at a company that issues IP addresses and um, there were some spammers that would buy IP addresses, but he had a friend that worked at a company that manages the block list. So when a spam person would buy an IP for the purpose of sending spam email, he, they would you know, buy the IP, and then he would just send a secret message to the um, block list to already have it pre-banned before the person can even send um, email. And he just kept doing that over and over again, just kept feeding the information to uh, a block list. And this way we have somebody who's, giving the information to the end user. But it's just one of those things where I'm like, wow. <laughs> Clever and, people. And the FBI was probably right in being careful about this, in handing out the keys and not publicizing that. Right. Um, one of the things that the company now has to do, especially in the US, when they have an infection like this, is make it publicly known that they are under attack or communicate the attack in some way. One of the things that you should do, and even if you're not mandated, is inform your customers that you're suffering a breach, your services are unavailable or not ready for them to use. Um, so it, it stands to reason that the company would have interest in after saying that, okay, we are now back in business. We managed to get our data back. Now, whoever is trying to ransom them might notice, okay, they got their systems back. How exactly? And they would start yeah. looking into their infrastructure. So, Good point. Yeah. They probably wouldn't last too long until that they started to catch on to it. So the way that they did it, managed to get uh, 1,500 keys, encryption keys, that's 1,500 potential victims or actual victims. That's a lot of, of uh, encrypted systems there. So, yep. yeah. In your opinion, because just for my knowledge here, 
Yeah, I'm sure it's possible, but I don't know if this is how it happened. So let's just say hypothetically a company, um, it was a victim of this, saved all their data on some kind of uh, read-only medium or something. So they have all their files. And then later on, the encryption key comes out however many years later, and they can, un they can unencrypt those files now. Do you think there's ever a situation where there's a payload put into the files that if you put them back on the server, that there's some kind of way that the ransomware could just resurrect itself off of that? Because I know they used to put executable payloads in files at one point with malware, but I don't know if that's traditional with ransomware, if you know what I'm saying. Depends on the dropper. Some droppers will drop the malware payload, but they will be still receiving orders from command and control, and command and control can actually deploy other payloads through that. Depends a lot on what type of malware it actually is and what type of ransomware it actually is. Um, if it's clever enough not to encrypt its own files, then it yeah it can continue receiving commands and it can continue to drop different stuff on the systems. It might even migrate to other systems and not encrypt those systems, just stay resident there and receive instructions from command and control. Um, so yeah, the payload does not have to be always encryption. It can change. Well, yeah, that's true. I meant more along the lines of, remember how it used to be macros and Word documents were one of the most, you know, egregious things because they do a system takeover because the the Word document would have a, you know, basically a payload inside the file. So I'm almost wondering, would they ever inject the payload into the encrypted file such that if you access the file, it executes something which reinstantiates. Even if you wipe the server, I'm just wondering if that's ever a concern. I haven't heard of it, but it's just one of those things, if they're not doing it, I kind of wonder if that there's a reason. Um, wiping the server and surviving, that's very tricky. There are situations where you can do that. It's not necessarily keeping the payload in the file. There are other places where you can drop executables outside of the regular storage. For example, the UFE. You can drop executable files onto your UFE storage or UFE memory or whatever you want to call it. That's a good um, point, yep. It's possible to drop malware there. It's very tricky both to get there and to remove it when it's there. There is also reports of of some malware, but this has to be very targeted and it's potentially tailored just for specific uh, targets of actually dropping malware into firmware of, um, of equipment like hard disks. Um, so that's also a thing. You can drop um, software into the firmware of a hard disk and even if you format it for it, you won't get rid of it. Yeah, that's, but I think our advice still stands because everything I just asked was hypothetical. Our advice remains the same. Don't erase all your files because all, thinking all hope is lost. Because in this example, one of the key takeaways is the keys were in the hands of some, of an organization that could give you the keys to unlock your data. And also there's always the possibility that the threat actors could have a CVE in their software that allows someone to, you know, maybe get in there and, and get the key in some other kind of way. So there's weaknesses. And, you know, even though the, the if the crypto is good, I mean, you, you can have a room of computers and do nothing. I mean, people that mine Bitcoins know what I mean. But at the same time, um, eventually it'll be possible and hopefully sooner rather than later if you're a victim to this. But definitely don't delete your files. Just... Put lock them up somewhere, and um, when the time comes, hopefully you can get your data back. But don't pay them; that's the that that gives them incentive. Don't pay them. Kill this industry. <laughs> don't pay right. them at all if you can avoid it. Again, there is one situation like we mentioned before. There is one situation, and it's the only situation where I see 
paying as a last resort and actually being useful. This is when it's absolutely vital, critical information that you have backups of absolutely nowhere and there's no way you can recover that information. That's the only situation where you should consider paying, but all other situations don't do it. It's probably better right. to just bite the bullet. Don't don't pay these guys. That's how they continue to then and next thing then you know you'll be on the list of the paying targets, so they'll probably reinfect you again. So yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> don't, oh, yeah. <laughs> don't they don't need your help. Um people were asking about okay, if you're outside the US, should you still contact the FBI? Um that's not exactly how it works. Contact your own law enforcement. All of the operations that I mentioned so far involved multiple agencies across multiple countries. Um, I believe the um, Hive had targets in 80 countries. There were law enforcement agencies from many of those 80 countries involved in this. Um, they communicate, they share information, they share resources. Um, for the next one that we're going to be talking about, it involved the agencies in Europe, in Australia, in the US. So yeah, the agencies are starting to share more information that they did in the past. This isn't exactly like in the movies where one agency doesn't talk to the next one because they don't want to share the the glory or the laurels of actually finding this. Um, so yeah, contact your own law enforcement. All the countries basically at this point have some type of agency that is either specifically dedicated to cybercrime or has a cybercrime division that deals with this. Uh, so get in touch with them. They are the ones that can help you in, in a situation like this. Yep. Um, yep. And I, I was going to say, make no assumptions either. You know, yeah. just 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 file the report, and also don't assume that nothing's being done. Again, we're just going back to that one last time because not only for the reason we mentioned already. But sometimes it it just takes time because there's a subpoena chain that's required in the legal system often that they have to navigate one hop at a time. And, you know, they get this subpoena, but then, you know, that they're just tunneling through there. So they need another one, then another one, then another one. And that does take time. So um, just always keep that in mind, too. This is not like the movies where, you know, yeah. someone saves a day at the end of two hours. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. Um, look, there's no downside to communicating this type of information. So get in touch with the authorities. It might not lead to anything, but if you're lucky enough and if they have the encryption keys available, they'll share it with you. <laughs> they'll solve your problem. So, yeah, even if in the end it leads to nothing, it's still not a loss for you. And it's part of responsible disclosure, because if you are a victim of this, and you don't, you know, responsibly disclose it and follow the law, but also have your customer's best interest in mind, you're going to have even more ramifications after because your reputation is going to go down even further than it would without that. So um, there's nothing worse than, you know, obviously a company is a victim that sucks, but if they, you know, don't tell anyone, that's horrible. And they try to keep it secret, but it happens all the time. And even though when it blows up in their face, Everyone else, they still try to remain quiet about this, and it never works out, not one time. Yeah. And in the end, each of these groups that gets caught, it's one less stress for everybody. So you're not just helping yourself. You're helping everybody be more secure. Um, so yeah, so there is yet another service that I want to, to mention, which is called Anom, not Anon, A-N-O-N. I won't touch that with a 10-foot pole. It's Anom, A-N-O-M. It's a company that was also selling 
um, secure communication devices because the other ones had been caught. So there was this void and somebody had to step up. Again, phones, but which could only send and receive messages from other phones on the same network. Um, There was no way to obtain one legally. You had to know somebody who had one of them. And yeah, it was a black market and you need referrals to get the devices. Lots of very, very bad people were in this network. And by very, very bad, the worst of the worst. Um, The arrest that happened at the end of the story, they managed to track down an actual torture chamber. And I kid you not, this is true. It was in the Netherlands. It was awful. Um, They had soundproofed cells. So, yeah, it was really, really bad. So they were selling communication devices to that type of person. Um, very expensive phones. The police managed to to get into the into the network yet again. All the encryption in the world didn't save them. All of that didn't save them. They managed to to snoop into and found people using this. Lots of countries had people using these phones. Um, it went all the way from people dealing in drugs and the producers in South America to distributors all over Europe and the US and again, all over the place. So how does such a network can get taken down? In the, the actual police um, statement that they put out when they caught them, uh, there are a few claims that are actually interesting. So the police claims to have applied, and I quote, specialist knowledge and expertise in the field of technology and cybercrime by using hacking skills, um, as well as traditional investigative investigative methods. Um, so they managed to hack the network. Kinda. I don't really believe that law enforcement managed to hack a network anywhere, especially an encrypted network. Um, what probably, and here is my guess here, um, they actually run their own encryption. So they probably develop their own encryption algorithm. Uh-oh. That's a bad idea. Um, There's a reason why there is only a handful or two handfuls of actually good encryption algorithms out there that are mathematically secure, mathematically proven to be secure, and we rely on those rather than others. Every PhD student in maths will claim to have a new (laughs) encryption algorithm, but at the end of the day, the ones that are actually true and tested are the ones that we are using today for communications. Um, So what probably happened was that these guys rolled their own commu- their own encryption scheme and it wasn't that secure and the police managed to crack that. Or another alternative is, and this is the traditional investigative method, they probably identified the member with some privileges in it and they managed to catch an unlock device. One of the comments on the news was actually pretty funny. <laughs> so yeah, the police just raided a coffee shop somewhere and managed to get uh, an unlocked laptop while the the user went to the bathroom. It's possible. <laughs> it, it is possible. It, I mean, it, it's just one of those things where I feel like the term hack and hacking is just used so incorrectly so often that nobody really knows what it means anymore. Because when I used to use Facebook, I would scroll through and I'd see a family member's kid um, on their mom's account or something. Hey mom, I hacked your account because they, they put that comment on there. They didn't hack anything. Their, their parent just left their computer open and they, you know, op- open text box, just type of thing. That's not hacking, but people use it for that. And 
if it's law enforcement, I mean, I'm pretty sure they didn't like reverse engineer encryption. I don't think that happened because I don't think they do that. So um, it, it's really hard to know, did they actually hack or did they just social engineer their way into the group, which is probably my guess as to what happened. You don't actually reverse engineer encryption. It's either very weak and you can easily break it or you go at it some other way. You don't actually yeah. reverse engineer it. It doesn't happen. That's just in the a, figure, a figure of speech. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, I get that, it. I get yeah, it. But yeah. in this example, it, right. that happens in the movies. That happened in World War II. And at least they attempted to. But until they got the device, they didn't manage to break Enigma. So, yeah, that's what happens still today. Another alternative, and we've seen this before in actual companies that got hacked, is that the police managed to pay off somebody in the inside. They found a disgruntled admin in the network, somebody that contact or something tipped them off, and they paid them to give them access. You just need to find the, the weakest link here. The weakest link is always the, the human factor. So you find somebody with access, you pay them, they give you access, they let you deploy a backdoor into the network, and that's how you snoop the network. So, yep. yeah, that's the, the traditional investigative method there. It's interesting to me that it seems like a lot of these problems on both sides come from being too trustworthy, right? Where you have someone who who actually believes the call they just received is from Microsoft and their computer needs their help desperately. You know, that happens and they get scammed that way um, because they, oh, they're trying to help me, right? And then you have threat actors who are, you know, using software that has weaknesses and then that's how they, they get caught. The, the thing to keep in mind is that, and I'm more so talking to the enterprises and organizations out there. Um, but anyway, the fact is the easiest part of software engineering is creating the website. The easiest part, like making claims of features. You could do that in five minutes. You could create a bullet point list and make whatever claims you want. Unbreakable encryption, 100% foolproof, whatever you want to say. Anybody could type whatever they want on a website, get the money from whoever, and then they just ride off into the sunset. But people still see these claims, or maybe they're told these claims, because I doubt software like that has a website. But the claims are made, and obviously it's BS, or the, maybe the person believes it. But anyone who knows this stuff like we do, there's so many loopholes and leaks and metadata and this and that. It, I mean, it's just to a point where I think people on the law enforcement side who know this stuff, they have a lot of options here <laughs> that they could explore. There's quite a few, actually. Absolutely. And there is another factor, and this isn't related to this news anymore, but again, just to close this one, uh, yeah, the police managed to infiltrate this, they managed to snoop on the network, and like the other cases, they managed to identify the people using the phones. There is one interesting comment uh, Again, this is, was supposed to be an end-to-end -end encrypted network, um, <laughs> and everybody can use end-to-end -end encryption, like I said at the start. That's not inherently illegal. Actually, that's not illegal at, at all. You just want to keep your conversation secure. Um, but there was a claim by the British police that were also involved in this. We found no indication of non-criminals using the network. So yeah, that's pretty telling. When you have a whole network of communication, thousands of users, and somebody makes this claim. Um, I actually want to go back to another story because there's something that I forgot on the Anchor chat when the first story I mentioned, 2020. 
they the police had such access to the to the network that they managed to identify a person because that person had sent a picture to somebody else on the network where their hand appeared and the police managed to track them down and identify the fingerprints through the picture and then traced it back to the person so yeah that's the type of access that they had um wow i bet that person is you know, really, really regrets buying that super high resolution camera. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like in the series, enhance, enhance, enhance. But yeah, they managed to get the, the fingerprints from a picture. Well, with AI, we have that now. We can enhance, enhance, enhance. And it's just yeah. an AI calibrating yeah. everything. We could totally do that now. Uh, is it actually factual, the result that you get? But that's a different story. Um, yeah. As a very important aside here, this type of organizations, they all start off at some point with just a group of people that know something about technology and want to create a, a communication service. There is this flood in the market right now of readily available, extremely knowledgeable people being fired from the big tech companies by the thousands. Not all of them will find jobs um, soon enough I believe that quite a few of them might be approached by people running this type of groups and invited to work for them. This is a big problem. This is not just a big problem because those people, those persons got, are unemployed now, but because they may be approached by this type of organizations in this type of groups and they might get good enough proposals that they accept them. So, yeah, yeah. this is something that we should be paying more attention to and we're not. I agree. I completely agree with you. I think there's, I mean, th there's definitely more to pay attention to, and there is a serious problem. And this is where you literally have, you know, bad hiring practices at some companies out there result. Obviously, someone made a bad decision, but still, it, it opens the floodgates, and um, yeah, it, it happens. It probably happens a lot more than we think it does. It's really smart people, really knowledgeable people, and people with knowledge of how the the applications and the platforms and the the software packages work and were developed. I mean, the amount of people that were being fired from Twitter, for example, and from Google, those guys know how Google and Twitter work from the inside. That's very, very valuable knowledge. Even if they signed all the NDAs in the world, the right amount of money will make them spill the beans on that. Even if they don't themselves start creating something to break it, they might have the knowledge to, to pass along. And that's really, really dangerous right now. Lots and lots of people in this situation. They might even have a legal requirement that they cannot work because of some agreement that they signed where they have to wait a certain amount of time to be employed again, which is the stupidest thing ever because no, I don't, I don't need to eat because I know too much about the company, really. Like um, sometimes the law causes that problem too. And I, I think that's, um, I think, I think it's, they're trying to repeal that if I'm not mistaken, but still there's all these different things that happen that just makes the issue, all the issues a lot more complicated. If only this type of companies would follow the rules, right? I thought Google was don't be evil, but okay. No, anyway, no, no, no. That's I another mean story. The, I mean the companies creating this type yeah. of encrypted networks. 
Right. These will have no scruples in hiring people that used to work there at Google or at Twitter oh, no, or they anything. Don't. They don't really care. They just want the knowledge. So, yeah. And They'll they have the people moonlight too. They work there now. Oh, you work there now. You don't have to quit. That's fine. Uh, keep working yeah. there. Give us some information every now and then and we're good. Yeah. yeah oh, boy. Absolutely. Again, the, the big takeaway that I would like to leave people with for today is that if you're in a situation where you've been hacked, where you've suffered a breach, where you have ransomware on your servers, do not refrain from contacting the authorities. The authorities are doing their part. They are actually being very active on this on this field today. Even if they are not catching everybody, because they'll never be able to catch everybody, they are doing some very, very big strides in towards catching at least the command and control servers for most of the ransomware out there. You might be lucky and they have the keys. If you're not lucky enough, the information that you provide them might lead to some arrests in the future and might help somebody else in the future. So, again, please, if you're in this situation, contact the authorities. And just because they're not saying that they're working on it doesn't mean they're not. I'd even go as far as to say it's probably not all that uncommon. They can't tell you that they're working on it. What are you doing about this hacker group? Oh, we're working on that. Oh, then the hacker group is like, thank you for the warning. I appreciate that. Um, so, yeah, just just do the right re responsible disclosure, just like you said. Don't delete your files. You know, keep those. You, you might be able to get those back. Don't pay them. That gives them incentive. That's why they do it, because they're getting paid. If they weren't getting paid, they wouldn't do it. So that that's what it all comes down to. And it's not small money. The, the ransoms that, uh, that the Hive group were supposed to get or wanted to get from those 1,500 um, ransomware infections was around 130 million. So that's a lot of money to, to keep these guys in doing what they're doing. Um, right. It only stops when there's no incentive. That's when ransomware ends. Until then, we're going to get the next group picking up the slack where these guys left out. And we're going to see other networks with encrypted devices popping up after the ones that were caught. There's just this void that needs to be filled. There's a lot of money to be made in this. So there will be other companies popping up that, uh, that provide this service with promises yep. of uh, security and encryption and all of that, that will eventually turn out to be fake. It will eventually be caught. Um, it's just that in the meantime, we have to be in the same playing field as them. So, yeah, there is actually no better alternative than contacting the authorities when something like this happens. Yep, full agreement. So I think that uh, that's our episode because I, th I think we got through everything, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay, well, there you go. And we'll be back here again next week, as usual, for yet another journey into the world of security and sleuthing and detective work and all these other things that are, um, you know, unfortunate that they exist in the first place, but still fun to report on and educate people about. Stories from the dark side. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, everybody. All right. Till the next Thanks. one. Bye. Yeah.